Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, folks, to our 46th episode of the Eastern Airlines Radio Hour, and uh, you heard playing Herb Alpert and Spanish Flea. I would love to play that tune, and I thought I was coming on with our normal theme music, but it didn't seem to want to play. So here we are into our show, and uh, we do have uh, a, a... song that we like to play because every every uh, show that we do, we talk about memories of the past, especially uh, for a long time now, over 10 years. We're in our 11th year. We've talked about memories of Eastern, but now we're sharing stories about other airlines in the past. Uh, and we've uh, uh, used this song because it takes us back to our days of memorying uh, the uh, stories and the the um, the careers that we once had. So here's a song by Jerry Goldberg, and I probably won't play it all because we have a wonderful show lined up for you today. So here's uh, Jerry Goldberg, uh, a long time ago. Street handlebars, bicycle seats, a house full of love, a great place to grow. Once upon a long time ago, if only I could go back again to mom and dad. All of my friends I would feel safe With the people I know From once upon A long time ago I'll never fly off To Neverland I'll never travel in time 
I can do is the best I can and go there in my mind. That's a good time to stop the song. We go there uh, in our mind. Big hello to the 50 countries around the world who listen in to us, uh, to our show regularly. And I like to review the names of the countries that uh, were listening to us last week. Uh, mostly they catch our archive version, or we don't know, maybe uh, six hours of difference in time zone. They may be listening live. Uh, big hello to countries Norway, Netherlands, United Kingdom, Ireland, Germany, Lativa, Latvia, excuse me, Russia, Romania, Croatia, Austria, Switzerland, France, Spain, Portugal, Kenya, United Republic of Tanzania, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Dominican Republic, Mexico, Canada, and there are other countries that listen in, but these are the ones that showed up uh, last week uh, on the status of that show. So thanks for listening in, folks around the world. Uh, we have a great show for you today. And my name is Neil Holland. I'm a retired captain with Eastern Airlines and producer of the show. Have produced it for almost 11 years now. And along with me today are co-host Captain Jim Holder, retired Eastern uh, Captain, hello, Jim. How are you? I'm doing fine, Neil. Hello, everybody. Hi, Good. Jim. And there you heard the voice of Senior Flight Attendant Brenda Chavot with Ward Air. Hello, Brenda. Hello, Neil. And hello, everyone. <laughs> and I've got a few callers on the line. And while we're saying hello to folks, I'm going to say hello to Another 519 caller, I don't know who that might be, but that sounds like a Canadian uh, area code. Is is that Renee? That's right. Oh, hello, Renee. How are you? Very good. good. Beautiful day. Good. Good having you with us. And also, Mm -hmm. area code 319 just popped up. Hello, area code 319. Hi there. How are you? Uh, Who is this? I'm Mary Elizabeth, and I flew for TWA for 40 years, and I've written a book. Oh, you're going to tell us about that, Mary Elizabeth. Not right now, but uh, toward the end no of the way. show. No way, yeah, yeah, could... yes, of course. Good, of good. Course. We want to hear about no that, way. don't we? <laughs> I would Very good. To. Okay, well, thanks you so, have a good so day. Much. Hey, don't, don't go away. Don't go away, please. I'm, on, I'm listening the whole time because I know Sandy Pearl, Sandy Pearl. Okay, Sandy, say hello to Mary Elizabeth. Hi, Mary. It's nice to hear your voice. Hi, Sandy. How are you? I'm blessed and doing wonderful. Thank you. Isn't that great? I'm so happy for you. Yes, I am, too. Now, we... Okay, uh, okay, back to me. All right, we've got a little introduction out of the way there. I think I've talked to everyone. That's on the board now, and if, if they pop up, we'll stop the show and, and see who's calling in. And Our, our new format uh, is, uh, is uh, aviation. We're talking about all airlines, not just Eastern Airlines, which we've done mm-hmm. for ten and a half years or more. And, um, but we want to hear stories from folks like, uh, like Eduardo last week, a wonderful show that 
he was able to uh, be with us for almost an hour and a half. And uh, so we're broadcasting Saturdays now at 1 p.m. Seems like to be a good time. At least for me, I don't know how about the rest of the world, but for me, anyhow. And since we have listeners from several major airline retirees and active employees here in the U.S. and around the world, we thought it would be a good idea to check in with these retirees and their airlines for their, for their news and history and, and their great stories and memories, which we want to share right here. And as I mentioned, we've been on the air since about 11 years now, and a great deal of our support comes with, and by the way, uh, Jim, uh, if you see Jerry Frost, tell him thank you very much because REPA is continuing to support the radio show as uh, Jerry emailed me, and I'm, I'm real happy about that. So Wonderful. Yeah. But 45 years ago, next month, the passenger plane carrying about 100 people hit nasty weather and crashed into Pauling County. In all, 72 people perished. Nine of those were on the ground and in an unincorporated area in the county known as New Hope, Georgia. The crash of Southern Airways Flight 242 remains one of the worst in Georgia's history. The regular route was from Atlanta to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, a stop in Huntsville, Alabama, then backtracking to Atlanta. But April 4th, 1977 wasn't a regular flight. We honored, we are honored today, very much so, to have as our guest Sandy Pearl, a former flight attendant, survived that tragic day and with Southern Airways as a surviving flight attendant aboard Flight 242. Sandy, thank you for being with us today. And uh, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Brenda Chabot, the former flight attendant herself with the Canadian airline, which we've heard, Ward Air. Uh, and Brenda is also the author of her own great book, Flight Attendants Lost in the Line of Duty. So, Brenda, uh, the microphone is all yours, and let's uh, let's start talking with, uh, with Sandy. Thank you. Hello, Sandy. Hello, Brenda. <laughs> okay. So, how we met, we'll start with that. And that was, I had started Facebook because I wrote my book. And I think it must have been on Facebook. Was it, Sandy, that you saw the book? Absolutely. And then you you contacted me. Absolutely, Brenda. Yeah. Your documentation and and investigative uh, aspects of your book were overwhelming to me in the validation of the flight attendant crew members of the cabin. Uh, and that yeah, and, and Sandy and I started talking, and I can remember that day when she phoned me. Uh, definitely remember the accent, <laughs> and it was lovely. A, a friendship formed, and I actually flew down uh, to Atlanta to Noonan and stayed with Sandy and her gentleman, and it was a lovely trip. And we walked the path in New Hope um, of the accident. Uh, together, the three of us, and uh, Sandy always likes to lay carnations for each of the persons lost on that flight. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, Sandy has joined Silverliners, which I'm thrilled with, and uh, all of Silverliners is thrilled with. 
And so now I'm going to start to ask Sandy a couple of questions and uh, to get us going. So, Sandy, what in your background instilled in you such a deep commitment to safety and performance in accidents and incidents? Well, what I like to reiterate with this is the fact that I was the child of an Air Force fireman. And so early in my childhood, I was inaugurated into safety aspects of a home. And, of course, my father coming home from his job, which was predominantly plane crashes on an Air Force base. And we had inspections as children of our room, and we had evacuations for fire and things of this nature. And my mother was also an Army nurse prior to my birth. And uh, the aspects of survival and being prepared and acting on instinct was instilled with me at a very early age, unbeknownst to me that I would ever be a flight attendant. And growing up, my interest was to be a nurse. And I was in college and could not afford to continue my education because of the money. And my English professor came by and put an ad on my desk that said Southern Airways was hiring stewardesses. I, first of all, didn't know what Southern Airways was, nor did I ever fathom or consider being a stewardess. I wanted some dimension in the medical field. And they were interviewing that day, so I went by, and it was raining, and I had a permanent. My hair was frizzy. I didn't wear makeup. I wore mascara and lip gloss back then. Had on a nice jumpsuit, but I went ahead and went in. And I walked in, and I thought I had walked into the Miss America pageant, and I thought, there's no way I have a chance of getting hired here. No way. Well, I finally got called back for my interview, and needless to say, I think they were quite enamored with my people skills at such an early age and the dimension of people that I had hosted in my life as a result of being, quote, unquote, a military brat. And I did get hired. And I started flying January 2nd of 1973 with Southern Airways. Training began on the 2nd here in Atlanta, Georgia. And little did I know what was ahead of me. In the training, of course, we were all fascinated with the glamour aspects of a stewardess at that time and being a host on an airplane. And little did I know the dimensions of the true responsibilities and what the responsibilities were as a flight attendant on an aircraft other than uh, the amenities for a passenger to have a delightful flight and to be the best customer service that you could be for the airline. And it didn't take long for me to realize that this was very serious. And I took my training serious, the same as all of us do once you are put in there. And I graduated with my class, and I began my career flying in 1973 on Southern Airways. On We had two airplanes at the time, types of equipment, the Martin 404, which I love, and then we had the DC-9. So my career with Southern Airways was on the Martin 404 and the DC-9. And Southern merged with with, uh, North Central, became Republic. Then Republic merged with Hughes Air West. And then Mm -hmm. Republic and Northwest merged 
and in the ultimate end, Northwest is now a part and is Delta Airlines. So I retired with Northwest Airlines in 95 after 22 years of flying. Little did I know what lay ahead for me in my profession as a flight attendant to be called upon to do my job. Yes. And happened on April 4th. Yeah. I was just going to say, with that, going back to that day on April 4th, 1977, um, can you tell us about the trip sequence you were on that, that whole day? Like how many days was the pairing, how many stops, et cetera? It was a three-day pairing, and I had just flown back-to-back a three-day pairing, and I had come in, I had my overnight, we signed in, and we were in weather conditions undesirable for three days. Um, When I say that, the thunderstorms in the south were dominant, especially in the spring here. And uh, so for us to not serve with Southern Airways, which we did in 30-minute legs block to block, was unheard of. But this was the third day of our sequence. We had flown all day on the first and second day with 13 takeoff and landings, and we were scheduled for 13 takeoff and landings this day. And we started our day with horrendous weather conditions, I might add, early in the morning. And we had not served and we were getting in late at the gate, people flying off the airplane, people flying onto the airplane, so fast to turn this equipment around that we had little time to even get the newspapers and the cabin cleaned up from the previous flight. And we had spent the night in Muscle Shoals the night before. We started this third day of our flight pattern schedule, mm-hmm. I should say, that we landed in, we had flown from Atlanta to Huntsville, to Muscle Shoals, turned around, and we were scheduled for just, we were on leg number 11 of a 13-day schedule, 13-leg schedule for the day. And we boarded, and it was chaotic as ever. The passengers got on, and they got seated, and we made the announcement that we would not be serving. It was very horrible, the weather conditions, the rain and everything in Huntsville, Alabama. But we had just flown through this on the way to Muscle Shoals and we're coming back. So it wasn't anything to us that was out of the norm for what we've been flying in, which was not the most desirable conditions, but they were flyable and tolerable. They just weren't able to serve. We had taken off out of Huntsville and we had reached almost 14,000 feet. And what I'm about to tell you is the beginning of the nightmare of this saga and horrible event in the history of aviation. We were flying, and it was very turbulent. But all of a sudden, the airplane was engulfed with what sounded like boulders hitting a tin trailer. You could not even hear yourself speak in the cabin. And all of a sudden, the passengers, I was the aft jump seat on the DC-9, sitting in the back between the lavatories. And Kathy, the other flight attendant, the lead flight attendant, was sitting in the front, and you could not see her from the cabin. So automatically, the passengers turned around to me 
with panic on their face. And I knew I could not move, even lift an eyebrow to avoid panic, but myself was trying to also absorb the situation. So I picked up the PA system automatically. I knew I had to do something, and I informed them to please uh, check the security of their seat belts and their stowage of their luggage underneath the seat in front of them and told them that these were precautionary methods, uh, precautionary procedures, but to please remain seated and we will be out of this shortly. Sitting on the back jump seat, the passengers were very silent, and we proceeded, and the airplane, all of a sudden, the left engine shot off like a cannon with a very loud pow, 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 and went silent. And I'm sitting between the two engines, and I knew that this was not normal. Well, with that, I made another announcement to the passengers, assuring them these were precautionary method, measures, but if they were to hear us holler, grab your ankles, they were to do so, that we would be out of the storm and the police do as we directed them to. Well, I got a, I smelled something electrical, and immediately, of course, I thought it was fire. It was so loud and abrupt when the engine shot off, went off, that I thought it had actually been ripped off the airplane. I was afraid to even open the lavatory door. Well, with the smell, I knew that it was serious. I got up, the lights had gone out in the cabin, and I was proceeding mid-cabin to go to the front of the aircraft when we lost the right engine on the DC-9, of which only has two engines, and it was silent. With this, passage proceeded to the towards me in the cabin, and we both started briefing, her in the front of the aircraft and me in the aft at the wings working my way backwards for emergency brace positions and procedures and the operation of our exits and the people sitting at them and demonstrated brace positions sitting on the back of the seat. And what I want to reiterate at this juncture is that there was no communication from the cockpit. But on the DC-9, I feel it is imperative to know that they could hear our announcements in the cabin and they heard what we were doing. But they were very, very busy in the cockpit. I also want to reiterate that I had, was at the time the safety representative from our union for the New Orleans base with Southern Airways flight attendants. And I had had training at the Civil Air Medical Institute in Oklahoma City as a safety representative. And also I had been through the NTSB accident investigation training. And I was the safety person that would go to an accident if it were a crew member from our base or an accident involving a crew from the New Orleans base. So I had had training, what I want to say, that was above and beyond the average not to undermine the significance, the magnitude of our training, but beyond that than the average flight attendant. And I had been dealing with a lot of write-ups on airplanes and safety issues over a prolonged period of time. So I, Kathy and I, upon initiation of briefing our passengers, I went back to our jump seat, and then Kathy called me on the interphone from the front of the airplane. 
and she said that she opened the door to tell the cockpit that we had briefed for an emergency landing, and they turned to her and told her to close the door and sit down. And it is at that time that she told me that the cockpit windshield was shattered from the hail. And I told, and she says, and I think we've had a decompression, and I said, yes, we've lost engines. So Kathy and I were sitting on our jump seats waiting to hear something, and this airplane, if I can explain to you, it did not just drop down because the engine stopped. And I thought it was such a short flight between Huntsville and Atlanta. I think scheduled uh, block to block was approximately 30 minutes. And we'd been up, it seemed like, a lifetime, so I thought that we were still landing at Hartsfield International. I had just gotten my seatbelt on, and a passenger in front of me, three rows up, got up and started pulling things down out of the overhead compartment. And, of course, I got up and had to go see his seatbelt fastened, and I turned around to come back, and I latched the safety strap across the back of the aircraft which is a uh, deterrent in an emergency to hold passengers back to give you enough time to get that aft door swung open. And I looked out to my left, and I saw the middle of trees. Now, I still thought we were at, there had been no communication, no bell system used, nothing from the cockpit. And immediately we came down, we touched, down and then we went back up and next thing I know and I have learned since that they went up over a car the pilot was in the cockpit trying to get a vector to Cartersville a small airport and the runway link we were trying to get to Dobbins the first officer Lyman Keel was flying the aircraft and he was an ex-navy pilot and he was trying to, they were trying to get a vector to Dobbins Air Force Base instead of Atlanta Hartsfield. Well, we couldn't make it. And the captain finally told air traffic control, we are down to nothing. We're putting it on a highway. But we did not know that, nor did we know the perilous situation that we were in. We acted on instinct like a button on a computer and took over with our incredible training that we have recurrent once a year, and it's very tedious trying, but it is very consistent, so it's like being programmed. And I'm here to tell you that when you are under stress, you regress, and this was like hitting the button on a computer. Well, we went up over the car, and the next thing I know, a big ball of fire came through the cabin forward aft, and I saw passengers catch on fire and then just started tumbling and rolling like a rag doll being pushed down a flight of stairs in a box. My mm. arms were flailing in front, and I was going left to right, getting my head between the jump seats. And all hell broke loose. Well, the mm. next thing was the absolute... Illness. I could not get the back door open, and the black smoke was blacker than black, that you couldn't see through it, nothing. And I knew that the next thing to do was to get to the emergency exits. 
Well, when I got up from trying to get the back door open and being overcome with smoke and coughing and choking, I turned to go forward to the window exit, and I'm here to tell you there was nothing but a wall of flames, and the flames just parted like the drapes on a stage. I took about three steps, and there were explosions right behind me where I just stepped out. And I was very disoriented, still trying to get to an exit, but it threw me to the ground. And I remember laying on the ground, getting up, and the first thing that came to me was the absolute dead silence. The first thing that I heard was the crackling of trees that were burning. It was just a crackling sound. And I looked around, and there was no airplane. There was no airplane. And I proceeded, as you can imagine, in this situation, the worst of all your senses, deceptions, or thought processes. I was in the middle of hell and a war zone. There were people and fire and pieces and people screaming, but I couldn't hear them. And I think I had something to do with the explosions, that my hearing, I testified that all I ever heard was one woman scream. But I proceeded to start running towards the road. I saw a truck coming down the road. And I remember I ran to this truck, very heavy. I did not and was not aware that I had something under each of my arms and it was humans that I had gathered. Hmm. And I told the guy in the truck that uh, Southern Airways CC9 crashed. I didn't remember the passenger count. All I knew was that we would hold 100, and I told him there were almost 100 people on board. And he turned around and took off down the road as far as he could get with the power lines and the wreckage and the fire that was down. And it turns out that he was the fire chief. And we had come down that road right past an elementary school and the fire station. And I'm going to tell you, two weeks prior to this crash, the little community of New Hope, Georgia, fire department and hospitals had their disaster training. It's unbelievable that they had just been through this as a an exercise for the community and the emergency personnel that would be involved in such. So with that, I turned around and I proceeded at the scene of the crash as the programming would have you do to try and look for survivors. There were people that were on fire walking around that I laid down and rolled. There were things that I reached for and there was nothing attached a piece, and it was horrible, horrible. But my instincts would not stop or my training, and I stayed there too long, saw too much, and finally could not look anymore and to the hospital in New Hope, Georgia. Little did I know that this was just the beginning of surviving a plane crash, but it was the worst thing that anybody could ever imagine 
and it's very difficult to try and put into words this many years later, even today, as things still grip me with dreams and stress about this day of my life where I was chosen and reborn and didn't know why. And I felt like my world was over. I spent time in the hospital in New Hope, was transferred to Georgia Baptist, and then I was transferred to Tulane Medical in New Orleans where I lived. My injuries were very minimal, should or could have been. I had some burns. I had longer-term back and neck injuries. But I was very blessed with hair that grew back. I call my scars badges of courage that I covered for so many years and wore makeup on so other people would be comfortable. And uh, I was off for four years before I went back to flying. And that is another story for another forum. But I was blessed to return to flying after four years, knowing that I was ready to make a decision about my future. And if I was to not fly, I wanted to have control of that decision because I chose to and not because something bad had happened to me. So that became the challenge then. Uh, was returning. There had been a merge of Southern and North Central that had formed Republic. So my return to flying was not with Southern Airways. I returned as a flight attendant after four years off airlines that was phenomenal in my return after a nightmare with Southern Airways and the lack of contractual provisions for crew members in the event of an accident or incident. Candy, may I step in yes. here? I'd like to just read a bit about what you did mm-hmm. after this accident through the years. Not only did you write, write a book with uh, Greg Lewis titled Am I Alive, which was the statement you, when you finally realized that you'd seen too much, uh, you asked a nurse on the scene or someone on the scene, right? Am I alive? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you didn't even know, you know. You were alive. It was amazing. But, yes, Sandy wrote this book. But further to that, um, she also earned company-wide and industry-wide awards and recognition for her work as an advocate for better post-accident understanding and treatment of PTSD for survivors of airline tragedies. Along with other airline union and NTSB representatives, Sandy became part of the industry's first official Air Disaster Crisis Response Team to rush to the site of crashes to offer emotional support to surviving airline personnel. Sandy also became an advocate for the recognition, response, and respect due airline personnel whose professions would require them to become the very first responders on site in an airline crisis situation. Over the decades since her own traumatic experience on Flight 242 and then on the ground, In New Hope, Sandy has served on professional panels, given testimony to industry and government leaders, and led seminars for airline personnel in a tireless attempt to ensure that other surviving crew members will receive the understanding, the support, and treatment needed to live emotionally healthy and productive lives in the wake of their own personal trauma. And this part really gets to me because I have a copy of the cockpit voice recorder transcript 
of Sandy's flight. And it says, for years, various airlines used copies of the actual cockpit voice recorder tape of Sandy's in-flight emergency instructions for the 242's passengers as a model for flight attendant safety training. Bravo to you, Sandy. Well, God is willing that I was able. Thank you for recognizing that, Linda. But I want you to know I'm very humbled and honest in saying that my healing came about as a result of being put with other surviving crew members. You can have all the knowledge in the world and read all the books you want and all the degrees, but there's knowledge and everyone will say there's knowing. And that is where my abnormal became normalized. Can you imagine being for the first time for a week seminar with 13 surviving flight attendants? Mm. Walking in, there was nothing, honey, nothing very special about me. And Mm. to hear the plight and the journeys of others, it became paramount to me that one day and forever I asked God and said, why me? Why did I live? Why me? And it became apparent that I had to take responsibility for the why me. Mm -hmm. I chose Mm -hmm. this job. I went yep. through the training. I was just called upon to do my job, and I did it, and that's how I can live with it. But I knew that I wanted to return to flying after four years to proceed with my life, but I knew that if I was to fly, that I had to make a difference as a result of where I had been because my reintegration with other crew members and whatever they'd been told about me while I had been off was very distorted. And I knew immediately it was up to me to put others at ease with the fact that I had been there because I represented their own immortality on that airplane. They looked to me if the weather was funny. And it was a lot of responsibility to carry. But I knew that there had to be programs for peer support for surviving crew members Mm -hmm. and special accommodations for them in their needs and proceeding with their lives financially, insurance, reintegrating, and going on with their lives with the integrity and the best of what they can pull from themselves from the past to move forward as a completely different person. And I feel that I have made a difference. I've had a lot of people share their pain with me. This was not a Sandy Pearl journey. It was the culmination of many people coming out of the woodwork to share their pain, Mm -hmm. to build these programs, to integrate them into the airlines, to train the corporate liaisons that are assigned to families, to have a healthy as best as you can recovery in the event of an accident with your airline. Mm-hmm. Sandy, mm-hmm. did uh, did you work in training with Republic when you came back to work? Of course. No, yeah. I went on the line. I did try to return a short two years after the crash with Southern Airways. I think about a year and a half. There was so much pressure. They had stopped my pay. I lived on $95 a week for four years. And people treated me like I took food off their table. I had no insurance, 
And I had been married a year, divorced within 10 months after the crash. I lost the baby. And people don't know the magnitude of what went wrong as a result of that day. And trying to put yourself back together, the pieces of the puzzle didn't fit anymore. The picture looked the same, same, but it was cut from different pieces. So I began to try and put that puzzle together and make a difference as a result. And that's how I can say I did my job. Extremely well, too. Uh. Sandy? Questions? Yeah. Sandy? Uh, This is Mary Elizabeth Spreitzer, and I did join Silver Liners like you and and Brenda, and that I wrote my book, just the reason why you wrote yours, because somebody has to tell the truth. Flight attendants go through, and I, you, you just, I'm crying right now. I have tears running down my face because of what you did is unreal. It's just unreal. And so my book is dedicated to the same kinds of things that yours is, to the CEOs, to the corporate raiders, to the people that call us names and snap their fingers, to the people that treat us like we were goddesses. We were hardworking women that worked very hard and were very responsible. I was brought up like you. My father was a businessman. They owned a small airline, and I was in college, and I just didn't want to get married. (laughs) I wanted to see the world, and I did the same thing. And 40 years later, TDB 800 blew up over Long Island. That's all in my my life, too. So this Mm. is an honor today for you, for you for what you've done, and I honor I'm very you. humbled by your words, uh, Mary, but being a flight attendant yourself, you know that the public, especially in the conditions today, through the eras of the hijacking and through all the aviation disasters that have happened in our past and will in the future, that people right. do not understand or truly grasp that the flight attendants are the eyes, ears, the smells, the taste, the touch. Exactly. Exactly. We are yep. the first yeah. responders to anything that happens in the air and are not recognized as that and are still held to sell seats on occupying aircraft. And the respect is just gone out the roof that we do not have as flight attendants in the cabin. But we are the first responders to any incident or anything that occurs in the sky. And I feel Even on the ground. Exactly. Conscious in saying that they all have the training for it. Yep. 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 Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. So I've got to hang up here, but I'm going to see you guys in April. At the convention at Silver Liners, and we're going to all have a great big hug together because we are sisters of the sky, okay? Sisters of the sky, don't you ever forget. And brothers, and don't you ever forget it. I will turn you on and call your bottom. (laughs) Well, you know, you you guys... uh, Guys and gals uh, in the cabin, you've done a great, fantastic job. And I wish uh, that I had paid uh, more attention to uh, 
uh, the dedication that you had than I did, and uh, I apologize that after retirement, but but uh, I can see yep. you were all you, you were the corporate image. You you were everything back there. You represented right. the airline no. that you worked for, plus the right. safety training that uh, the people just don't realize that. And yeah. um, I'm glad there are organizations like the Silverliners and. I uh, I have uh, hopes that uh, we can reach out to people around the world with this little radio show and and uh, encourage folks to get involved, get involved with uh, their pilot uh, associations and especially the Silver Liners uh, for the back end crew. Uh, that's what we referred to them, but you're more than back end crew, believe me. And uh, well, Jim Holder, what, what do you I, have I, any? I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have to have to say one one thing. Uh, TWA was clipped wings, and then clipped wings. Uh, we had a strike, and uh, it was horrible, horrible. And uh, I stayed with clipped wings, and then clipped wings now doesn't exist. Well, what I really love about Silver Liners, I really mean this, is they incorporate all airlines. Some of yeah. us were getting older now. We we yeah. you know we're out in the you know who who did you fly for? Oh, what's that? These are the people you honor. Is yeah. the people yeah. that formed this, and Silver Liners is fantastic. That's all I'm yeah. going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. It is. <laughs> well, each one has their legacy, and each yeah. one has their pride, yeah. and each one yep. has made a difference in the skies that we fly today. Because of the involvement of crew members, both cockpit and cabin, that work cohesively and cognitively to keep it safe and up to par for flying for the public. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've got Jim Holder standing by, and he's got just a few things about that flight as far as uh, the airplane and weather-wise. And, uh, Jim, (laughs) would you uh, tell us about what uh, you have there for us? um, Yeah, but before I do that, I'd like to tell – I was flying that morning. It was New York, I mean, excuse me, O'Hare to Atlanta. And it was that morning, and the weather was bad. I've seen a lot of bad weather, and that's in the top five. It was a very bad day. And we did not hear anything on the radio about the Southern's crash. Uh, After we landed, and right after we landed, uh, the gate agent said that uh, Southern had crashed in New Hope, and they thought they had hit a school, and that's just more. That just hit me big time, and we found out later that it wasn't. But it was a very bad morning in North Georgia that day. And uh, what we know about Flight 242, the pilots actually were trying to make it a, like she said, they were down to the what we're going to do type place. You've got to get this thing down, and they tried to do an emergency landing uh, on Highway 92 Spur in New Hope. Like I said, it was a new hope. And the DC-9's wingspan is 93 feet and 5 inches, and there was a, where they hit, there was two utility poles on both sides, but they were only 80 feet, 8 inches apart. The plane was too big right there. And in its path, it was went for 1,900 feet long. And I imagine uh, Sandy thought it might have been a lot further than that. But... Uh, and the, the path was uh, used up most of it, and it was 295 feet wide. These pilots did. Uh, they got it down in a very bad situation. They got it down as best they could, and they did a good job. 
destroyed five cars, a truck, a bunch of mailboxes, power lines, lawns, and it started a fire that raised, uh, burn up completely a combination grocery store and gas stations. And uh, like I said, nobody blames them. Uh, we think they were heroes because it could have been a lot worse. It was bad, though, but it could have been worse. The plane broke apart mm-hmm. into five separate sections, and like two, she's reported, two flight attendants, along with more than 20 passengers, made it out alive. And many of them survived because they were ejected from the airplane. And then those that were killed that wasn't even on the airplane, they mm-hmm. citizens in that area. Mm-hmm. I remember it well. I, I suggest listeners. With the pilots that what he says, the job that these pilots did with this DC-9, that they absolutely came down center line of that highway. The right mm-hmm. wing flipped, uh. catapulted us left in the gas station convenience store, and believe it or not, outside of the convenience store gas station, we landed in the center with two houses on the left, one recessed, and then the houses to the right, and the main wreckage was there in that area, and not a single home was destroyed. Yeah. But the yeah, I was going to say, closed. Sandy, the um, people listening should Google uh, the images of the accident. Uh, just Southern Flight 242, it's only then that you'll see and be shocked to see the tail section there that Sandy crawled out of, unbelievable. But not only that, the rest of the plane and where it was on someone's front lawn. It's amazing. Well, also I'd like to say that this April 4th is the 45th anniversary of the crash. And last year, in my lifetime, and a sense of completion and satisfaction of a monument that was built and dedicated last April on the 44th anniversary that is absolutely beautiful. And the sense that it brought to me and seeing it as one and not what I hold in my mind when I walk the path of the wreckage. And to honor and remember these lives, name by name, every April 4th is something that I do every April 4th and will be there this April 4th for my own sense of peace and acknowledgement and prayer for those loved ones and the legacies of the lives that they were lost. And I am in contact with some of the surviving passengers. I'm in contact with some of their children of the passengers that were lost. And it is a very small, small, unwanted fraternity, but the bonds are unfailing. And we carry each other every year this time. Yep. And Sandy, I'd like to mention the captain's name and the first officer's name, William McKenzie, William Wade McKenzie, the captain of that flight who perished in Lyman Keel. I think I said that right, Junior. He was the first officer. And then there's uh, Kathy or Catherine Cooper, and you just told us that she passed away. Would you say Catherine flew 45 years. She returned to flying shortly after the crash. And she went through the mergers, and she retired from Delta with 45 years of flying. I retired after I went back 
I flew an additional 16 years when I returned to flying, and I retired with 22 years. But unfortunately, when Kathy retired, she'd been diagnosed with the worst type of Parkinson's disease there is, and she passed away two years ago. Hmm. Well, uh, I will say this, uh, Sandy. I remember the dedication last year. I believe it was last year, wasn't it? And uh, it was very covered very, very well by Atlanta Television. And I saw Sandy, you know, interviewed on it several times. And I remember they interviewed one guy that uh, they were talking about it. With, you know, the reporters that were you on the airplane or something like that. No, but my brother was. And I'm here representing him. He didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it is a beautiful, it's lit up at night. And the names are listed, and it is, has a beautiful sitting area around it. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful <clears throat> place to go and honor. Right. Agreed. Well, you mentioned, Sandy, that uh, Southern Airways was flying the DC-9 and the Martin 404. And uh, as I mentioned to you, and you uh, said it would be fine to, play a little song that I really enjoy listening to and I often think about our own Martin 404s and I wish uh, a song had been written for Eastern Martin 404s but I found this and I'd like to play it at this time and then we do have uh, another person that has passed away I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, this uh, lady that was with the Silver Liners who passed away uh, Nita Rausa. Irene Rosa, and uh, but first I'm going to play this song, and I uh, think you'll recognize it, especially being with Southern Airways. the victim. 
I could stand no more Waiting on that Southern Airways Martin 404 Listen to the rumble, the rattle and the roar As she lumbers down the runway toward the Sears department store For a flight that you'll remember What a great song and great memories of Southern. And I can tell you, flying that Martin 404 as a flight attendant out of training, I swear that we only followed the highway to get from city to city. <laughs> <laughs> enough barely to pressurize that baby. And but what a great memory. It was a great airplane to work. Yeah. Well, speaking of memory, we're going to remember Nita Irene Rosa, who just passed away. She was from Vienna, Virginia, and she died Friday, February 18th, in West Virginia with with her daughter, Rachel, and son-in-law, Michael, by her side. Nita was known for her generosity, her patriotism, and unconditional love. She joined the love of her life, Rosario, Raus in heaven and is finally at peace. Nita is survived by her five children, Anna, Zena, Zeno, Emily, Rachel, and Michael, and nine grandchildren, Madeline, Jacqueline, Zeke, Jordan, Ella, Zoe, and Braxton, Tabatha, and Wyatt, and an Italian greyhound called Zippy. Nita joined Eastern Airlines in 1961 and remained with Eastern until 1967. She was based in Washington and Miami. She was a flight attendant and then became a supervisor in Washington for a few years, a fierce, strict supervisor at that. She scared a lot of us. But the Nita that acted like that was gone when she joined the Silverliners. We think she was so happy to find her Eastern family again that she just remained the sweetest, loveliest woman we want to remember. She loved to bid it up whenever we had silent or live actions. She loved going to conventions or board meetings where she'd take right off to find the best jewelry shops. And Nita met almost everyone at the hospitality suite. She was quiet, but she had some big guns she carried with her like when she ordered and paid for the little cakes with the logo for everyone's dessert at the villages uh, that the Silverliners had the contest. And she hadn't even told us that she'd done that. The Washington chapter treasured Nita and will miss her tremendously. And for those, uh, uh, the funeral services for close family and friends will be held in Virginia March the 10th. Uh, 2022, just a few days from now, and it's being held at the Good Council uh, of Wolf, Wolf Trap Road, Vienna, Virginia. Nita's life will be celebrated with the extended family and friends at Arlington National at a later date, and in lieu of flowers, memorial contributions may be made to the American Cancer Society, Hope Lodge, Baltimore, Maryland. And those who wish uh, might wish to send the family a card can send it to her daughter, Rachel, which is where Nita was living. That's Rachel, Rachel Rausa Tra- Tracy. By the way, that's R-A-U-S-A, the middle name, Rachel Tracy Rausa Tracy. 
And that's 76 White Mule Lane, 76 White Mule Lane, Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, 25425. And uh, this was uh, passed on from Claudia Van, Van Veen, uh, the Washington president. And she says, rest in peace, dear friend. Rest in peace. Eternal uh, wing uh, for our sister. Yeah. Very good. And uh, Jim Holder, uh, I think we had some people passing away with the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. Can you recall any of those at this time? I hate to put you on the spot no, there. But... No, uh, not, the, not in the last two or three weeks or so. I, I yeah. don't recall sending any death notices out. Okay. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, oh. Well, well I want to say deal. that this career as a flight attendant is one that will broaden your life and give you connections for a lifetime. And once yeah. you have your wings and you have served your customer well, you will never, never discard them or ignore them, and you honor them till the end of your life because it's so ingrained in you in the fellowship, the sister and brotherhood that we have in our cabin crews and how we work and train together to keep the safety and the operations of our airlines going and safety for the general public. Salute to flight attendants all over the world. Yes, and I second that. And, and, uh, Jim, you were going to say also about uh, the convention or the reunion of REPA, and I think, Brenda, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the Silverliners meeting uh, in Tampa. Sure. Uh, well, well there's, there's a lot, lot going on. We keep trying to have a discussion, have another re, uh, REPA reunion, not a convention, a two-day thing. And last I heard, they are looking to try to have it in April. I don't know if that's going to come on. Well, you know, we've already planned it two or three times and didn't have it either time. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're going to. I was going to mention something else to you, but I'll just give you a call on the phone once we get through that on a different subject. Okay, uh, Brenda, how about the Silverliners uh, this year? Yeah, well, we've had, of course, the convention canceled in Tampa before because of COVID. So finally, we're all excited to have the convention. Uh, at the end of April in Tampa. And because with Silverliners, we have uh, one year's convention, and the next year will be what's called the business meeting. Convention's three days. The business meeting is two days. Um, Well, the business meeting was canceled as well. So basically, this convention's a big one. It's four days because we've combined it all. And it is going to be wonderful to see each other again. We're so excited. So... um, as a few of our members have said, wild horses won't keep me away. So, <laughs> so yeah, really looking forward to this. And, and you um, might you, yeah. you might have a, you might have a few pilots popping in on that, busting up the party. And we'd love that. We'd love. Yeah, we got crashed by Repa. <laughs> so uh, Neil, if you want. No. Go ahead. Go Jim. ahead, Jim. Neil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did pull up the the list of the pilots that died recently, and I I will just run with the, with the names a couple, some of them. 
Uh, Daniel yeah. Saunders, uh, he was a very senior captain out of Miami, and he died back in November, but they didn't want me to put the message out until about a week ago. Uh, he oh. was 93 years old. The family, I'm not sure exactly why we did. And Lou Rabbit, you remember Lou oh, Rabbit? Yes, oh, yes, Lou Rabbit. Yeah, Lou Rabbit, one of the finest men you'll ever yep. meet, finest pilots and a uh, member of our hunt club. Uh, he died December the 14th at age 94. And Harold E. Coonley uh, died in early February at 98. And uh, Board Connolly, I didn't know him, died February 19th. And Norm Morris, you know, he came to all of our reapers. Oh, yeah, Norm. Uh, another fine guy. He died September. We just learned about it last week. It's September of 2020, uh, a year and a half ago. We just found out about it, died at age 89. And, of course, Bill Kennedy, uh, a call-in host uh, yeah. to the radio show uh, up in North Atlanta, North Georgia. He died on February the 23rd, just, you know, a couple of weeks ago. He was 83 years old. Yeah. So the, the list gets longer and longer and longer. Yeah. We get yeah, older and older and older. Yeah. Well, uh it's uh, great that uh, we can honor these folks that we know about and mm-hmm. and also promote uh, the show uh, around the world. And, and uh, anytime any of the Silver Liners, Brenda, if you can uh, pass the word for any of your officers or directors of the Silver Liners that want to come on and I will. tell us more, more about uh, becoming a member because the organization is growing so fast now and it's it's uh, really, uh, like I've mentioned before, it's worth the magazine that you receive twice a year because Brenda puts it together, does a fantastic job. Of, Phenomenal, about, uh, thank you, Neil. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I, I do enjoy it. And uh, Silver Liners is unique because it is all the airlines welcome. And yeah. uh, it's just wonderful to have that because the history, I mean, there's, there's the baseline, which is the same for all of us, our training and yeah. our flying and serving the passengers and our pride for our airline. But beyond that, it's, it's just amazing to talk to each other about the different things, the different flights, uh, our flights from hell, <laughs> our flights yeah. from heaven. So, yeah, it's a wonderful organization. It really is. Yeah. And so we have some younger ones because we accept, of course, um, present and past flight attendants. So it's yeah. quite a mix. It's it's just great. And we and need some young annoying. blood in there. Somebody's got to carry this forward. That's right. That's yeah. right. And if you're interested, yeah, all ahead, you Brad. need to do is go online to www.thesilverliners.org. That's thesilverliners.org. All lowercase, no hyphens, just all, uh, all is one word. And it'll tell you how you can join there and uh, tell you a bit about all the different chapters. And we're looking to open a chapter in uh, Hawaii. We're just, I I can't even remember the names, but we've just opened Denver. Uh, Phoenix is only a year old, and wow, are they ever doing well. Yeah. So, yeah, there's uh, a lot of chapters opening. It's really a lot of fun. And Brenda, we iterate the fact that Silver Liners also is a wonderful through all the chapters of our charity work with each chapter 
and our international yes. chapter of what we support, that we're not just gathering and gabbing, that we work hard in our charities locally and on an international level. And so there's a sense of contributing and making a difference or softening the world for others. And yes, Sandy, that's excellent, and it's so true. And that's where the fun comes in. It's yeah. when you work together like we did as a crew. So you're out there doing garage sales or walkathons or, you know, delivering hurricane relief funds to fire departments or it's just, you know, uh, flights to the North Pole for children or visiting children's homes or seniors' homes. It is amazing. And that's the core of Silverliners. That's what we yeah. do. We help others as a crew. And, and I want to thank you guys for remembering uh, me and my wife. My wife fractured uh, her L1 uh-huh. and L2 vertebrae and has been suffering a lot of pain. And then I broke three fingers on my right hand. And you guys had such sympathy that I was getting uh, lots of cards. And uh, I did receive a bouquet of fruit Believe me, that looked like a flower bouquet. Have you ever seen something like that put together? <laughs> and I had a great delicious time of eating, eating it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was fabulous. And, uh, and then a gift card. So you guys, uh, you guys are wonderful. And pilots, uh, you, you might want to consider joining also in, in mechanics and yes. those that work reservations and uh, flight operations and ground uh, ground crews, yeah. you might all want to consider joining Silverliners because uh, when you pick up that magazine, you're going to find out what the back end crew was saying about the front end crew. <laughs> <laughs> Some great stories there, really, really yeah. great stories. Well worth the magazine. And, uh, you know what? Yeah, you the, unique thing, the unique thing with these airline crews is that I started at 19 years old. Uh-huh. And Aww. so with these cockpit crews, they raised me, you know, they <laughs> yeah, raised right. me. And with a family like Southern, you flew with the same crews all the time. We watched each other get married, have children. We watched and grieved with each other as we lost loved ones. And we celebrate life forever because of the connection that we share. It's a unique, unique field of aviation. Yeah. It is. Well, it's a family. And if I may say one more thing, we had a pilot at Ward Air. Um, it was 747 pilot. And uh, he just had trouble being alone. And it wasn't a joke, you know, this is serious. He really did. So we would have long pairings, like nine days away from home. And uh, we all knew as a crew that if he was flying, one of the flight attendants or more, would go and sit with him in his room or watch TV or order room service and that just taking care of him. And that was a lovely mm-hmm. thing. And that was just, it was just once that, you know, you think, mm-hmm. okay, he was having a bit of problems there, but my goodness, um, yeah. it really, really was a family. Yeah. yeah. So, Boy, that never worked yeah. for me. It never did for no? me either. <laughs> really? I said that never worked for me. I got to tell a quick story here, Brenda, since you brought that up. A quick story. I used to fly with uh, with uh, Lee Hines, and Lee uh, uh, 
senior captain and also head of the safety uh, committee for the Airline Pilots Association. You remember him well, Jim Holder. And, I sure uh, do. But, but Lee, I flew several trips with Lee, and uh, every time we got on and, and we had a new flight attendant crew in the back, and they would come up and introduce him, uh, themselves to Lee, the captain, wanting to know if there's any last words and so forth. He would always say, well, it, it, it is my birthday. And, of course, he always got a, a kiss, a hug and a kiss. And after a while, I saw that going on. And I said, is that all it takes just to lie like that, Lee? <laughs> he said, yeah, it works every time. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give yeah. one more, just one short story. Come on. Of Neil, you. You talk about that, uh, the back-end crew <laughs> versus front-end. Some people hate that. It doesn't bother me. But I do remember <laughs> when we landed in Scotland, or anywhere really, but this happened in Scotland, the crew bus would be sent for the flight attendants. You know, we'd have 13 on a 747. And uh, the limo would be sent for the front-end crew mm. or car or whatever. <laughs> oh, no. Well, Oh, yeah. Well, one day, I was fairly new myself, and a girl named Nancy, and I can't remember the third girl, but we decided to get defiant. So we got in the car, and it was really a crappy car. It was awful. But anyway, we got in and thought, and so the bus driver came up, and he's going, get out of the car, get out of the car, you know, come on the bus. We're going, no. And we wouldn't get out. Well, it turns out (laughs) the car belonged to a private passenger who was there to pick up his wife. (laughs) Oh boy. He said, I'll be I'm gonna get lucky tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. We all have funny stories like that yeah, around yeah, the world. Yeah. <laughs> and you hear a lot of them in Tampa in April. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Boil us up a bit. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Sandy, thank you so much once again. Uh, you're an inspiration to so many people, and you have been with this radio show. So, come back anytime. Yeah, you want to add your voice to what we have to say. Yes. And uh, you're welcome, Sandy. Well, I'm just industry and the flight attendants and the crew members that through the years have continued to support me and what I have personally been through to say that I'm healthy, happy, and I can finally say I'm a survivor. And forever I still carry the survivor's guilt, but I'm comfortable in knowing that I've served a purpose. And I was chosen to make a difference, and I did, with the help of many, many people that suffered. And God be with all of them that fly the skyways, including our passengers. Yeah. Thank you, Sandy. Very eloquent. Well, this is going to be a hard act to follow, as uh, we had uh, last week Eduardo with his story and yours, Mm -hmm. uh, your memories today. It's going to be, I guess, back to uh, to the songs. (laughs) <laughs> we we <laughs> like to play. We call them the songs of our era. 
uh, and uh, mostly what you heard Herb Alford, and we've been playing big bands and things and songs like that because we date that far back. But as, at any rate, I'm going to let Merle Haggard take it over here, and it's and so pretty and uh, Silver Silver Wings. And uh, if you haven't heard the song, Sandy, you might enjoy it. But it's by Merle Haggard. Silver wings shining in the sunlight, roaring engines headed somewhere in flight. They're taking you away. Don't leave me, I cry Don't take that airplane ride But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sun I came up with that song, but uh, it's going to stick with us, I guess, the rest yes. of the life of the radio show. A wonderful song by Merle Haggard. Sandy, once Beautiful again, meal. thanks so much. Thanks so much, Brenda, for being uh, the host and, and uh, a wonderful show. Thank you. Well, it was a wonderful show. I am alive. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> See you in Tampa. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Silver wings shining in the sunlight, roaring engines headed somewhere in flight. Taking you away And leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight 